With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as uh, simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more know, doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane. So shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Turns and conditions apply. This is Julio Rodriguez, and this is the Lookout Landing Podcast. Robertson, host of this show, the Lookout Landing Podcast. Thank you for tuning in. I've been living in your headphones, in your car stereo, in your little Bluetooth speakers for months now, years even. And today, uh, I am sharing this space with a very special guest. Uh, it's another installment of our Why I'm a Mariners Fan series. And today, I'm joined by Chef Eric Rivera, owner of the restaurant Otto in Ballard, but most importantly for today's purposes, a massive fan of a baseball team called the Seattle Mariners. Eric, how are you doing today? Good. Good. Doing all right, man. How are you? You know, it's a, it's a big question this year, obviously. I think, you know, all things considered, I'm doing okay, but uh, I'm, I'm like doing okay and also kind of the worst I've ever done, you know, like me personally, yeah. I guess I'm fine. But when I kind of zoom out, I realize, oh, this is actually very bleak. So that's yeah, where I'm at. I've, I've been set up to feel this way by being a Mariners fan. So for me, um, you know, getting excited about things, then not having shit turn sideways and then go, okay. So it's, it's 38 years of kind of like being prepared for this. Yeah, it is kind of weirdly perfect. And I also, like, I don't want to make it seem like rooting for a bad baseball team is the same as, like, losing loved ones to a virus, obviously. No, I'm not, but, I'm not but, trying to polish that at all and make it seem that way. But, uh, no, yeah. it's, it's just, like, one of these things where, like, 
you kind of get to the point you're like what else is going to happen you know that frame of mind where you're like come on really yeah you develop pretty thick skin and realize like okay well if one thing is going great today that means i'm probably in line for about three horrible things tomorrow exactly yep <laughs> Cool, cool. Well, we've just seen um, a little 60-game sprint from the Mariners. How did you feel about that? How uh, checked in were you? In my mind, it was pretty much just like a development year, you know? Um, and that's kind of what my attitude towards everything over the past couple of years has been. It's like, make sure Kyle Lewis is playing <laughs> as much as he can, um, bring in some of the young guys, kind of, you know, get an idea of where they're going, but not too much into it where I'm expecting anything, uh, meaning like playoffs or you know, winning streaks or anything where I'm like excited to have them be back in the playoffs. I don't, I just don't have that in my mind right now. Yeah. And it was weird. Wasn't it like that? You, I totally agree with you on the development thing. Like it was, I thought very funny and, you know, kept me a little more entertained when I realized like towards the end of the season, they kind of mathematically had a chance to make the playoffs, but I wasn't like, like you said, I wasn't like living and dying with that. The weirdest part for me was because I totally, like I said, I agree with you. I thought it was like, a developmental year so it's like okay we want to see what the young guys have but at the same time once I saw Kyle Lewis actually like play really well and look like a superstar I was like maybe we should just wrap him in like bubble wrap for the year you know like <laughs> yeah, I like, don't like, want anything to happen, happen. Yeah. in this year that yeah, kind of kind doesn't of count happen. but also like he needs to get his reps, his reps in like you like said sure. and it, yeah, paid, it off, paid off obviously, obviously like he's, he's gonna, gonna win, win rookie of the year yeah, fingers yeah, crossed so it was great but also like there was a certain point where my mindset flipped and I was like just please don't get hurt. Please don't get hurt. Please don't get hurt. It, it's it's the bittersweet Mariners fan thing where it's like, how good is he going to be? And are they going to build around him or send him off kind of idea? You know, where I'm like, uh, I want to see him do all this stuff really well. But then I'm also like, I hope nobody else notices. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's the beauty of being a Mariners fan. We kind of get to hide some of our, our really good players. That's why I was so shocked when I saw the return for Austin Nola, just because I was like, one, like, I know he's a good, solid player, but I didn't think he was going to get us that many prospects. And then also I was like, kind of like what you were saying, like, oh, people people know about Austin Nola? I thought he was kind of like just our, 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 our secret, secret up here. <laughs> we're like, okay, fine. If that's what's going to get, if, we're, if that's what we're going to get for Austin Nola leaving, then I'm, I'm fine with that. But it's just, it's, it's one of these things where I, I think over the last, I'd say maybe five, six years, it's just a different mindset towards what I have an expectation for Mariners to be. Um, you know, there's the everyday Mariners fan who goes there to just go there. Um, and, you know, they have this thing where they just want to see the, the team play. They don't really, they're not really involved. Um, but on my side, it's just trying to figure out who's going to help get to an actual steady, good baseball team. hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah. I, uh, I'm not a big college sports fan. Like my, the college that I went to is not really a sports college, but I felt like this little era that we're in the last two years is like when your college team, like when all the seniors graduate, you know, and then the next year is just all freshmen and underclassmen. You're like, well, I guess we'll just see what we got. Like the beauty of it is that we have three, four more years of, of this. So it doesn't have to be right away. So I kind of like, it's kind of a luxury too to not have to like, like, you know, obsess over the standings or anything like that, which obviously none of us have been doing for the past two seasons. And also not having to prop up like a superstar player over and over for everybody. I think that's the biggest thing for me um, where in the past it's been like, oh, well, 
we have Ichiro or let's bring back Griffey or let's keep on bringing back the superstar nostalgia bombs uh, for everybody. And it's nice to not have that right now um, where nobody's saying, hey, go sign the ghost of whatever. Um, now it's really like, okay, we're actually going to try to develop this stuff, you know, rebuild AAA, rebuild the young kids, find some other, you know, people from around here and kind of make those moves, um, which is cool because the current organization has been making a ton of moves over the last couple of years. Um, and you can kind of see them, you know, casting that to be positive instead of just going like, oh, all we need is some slugger, <laughs> put it right in the middle of the lineup and let's spend X amount of dollars to really get nothing in return. So it's, it's a it's a very different approach. And I, I appreciate this approach a lot more than, you know, other Mariners scenes in the past. Yeah, totally. There's definitely a comfort in being realistic, which is, I think, a nice change in the organizational philosophy. Like they knew that 2019 and 2020 were going to be like, building blocks you know it wasn't like they were doing the whole like oh let's you know we had a decent start like in 2019 they start 13 and 2 or whatever it was and i'm glad that you know even when that was happening they were still like no 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 like the people who are in charge are like please do not be fooled like we are not this good we know we're not this good we're not going to make any trades i remember that year there was talk that they would maybe look at craig kimbrell who was a free agent and everyone was like no don't do that if you trade a single prospect for a closer we're gonna like riot in the streets and i'm glad that they they understood that and didn't pull the trigger on some stupid short-sighted move yeah that's that would be like mariners organization 10 years ago where it was like oh you have this free agent (laughs) let's give the whole house eric bedard style shit you know (laughs) it's like oh god kill me (laughs) yeah so then this leads to a kind of an obvious question how are you feeling about the state of the mariners right now you've seen a bunch of regime changes and different you know people in charge over the years how do you feel about kind of the the depoto era and what they've been building here i i feel a lot more confident about it than i have in a long time again you know bringing in a gigantic superstar player you know, like the Ichiro years or, you know, when we had back in the 90s, basically superstar all-star team every day. Um, it's just a different approach. It looks like they're going to want to grow it um, in that slower approach like the 90s teams uh, and not just go cherry picking uh, for superstar names and, you know, making everybody happy that we have some player that has like 30, 40 home runs and they're the only player that does that on the team. So I'm, I'm actually more excited to see like an actual system being put in place um, with developing players and them talking about rebuilding you know, the farm system. And it feels more like a real baseball team now in my head rather than just going like, we need everybody in Seattle to be happy with us. Let's just go that way, um, which is to me been the approach. Um, so yeah. I'm cool with DePoto style. Um, I know it's a lot of moves and I know it's a lot of, different things where people don't really understand what he's doing, um, meaning on the, on the mainstream side, but on, you know, the, every other, like the, the longtime fan side, it's easier to kind of see that and go like, oh, okay, well, that makes sense, you know, <laughs> or, hey, um, I don't necessarily know what that is, but then I'm also just a chef, <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> um, yeah. I'm also just a guy that works in a restaurant and I, I, yeah, I have my own business, so I can understand how somebody who runs that cell business makes their moves. <laughs> so it's it's just, it's letting them kind of do their thing and, and being hopeful for it, which is, is, you know, all I want. Yeah, I think you're onto something there, though, like the... Because the way that the Mariners were building their team, like when they got Cano and Cruz, right? It's like, okay, we have to win now. These guys are pretty old. And like, I love those guys. They were a joy to watch. But like, it did lead to that kind of like almost panicky moves where they would try to like add guys for like a year, year and a half, almost like they were playing fantasy baseball. And then from us at home, it's like, well, we do that all the time. Like that's what fans do naturally. We just kind of 
you know, daydream about the roster and like talk about what we would do. do. So to see see the actual organization kind of do that in their own way was a little like I looked at it kind of quizzically. Like, are you guys actually building anything? And then now that they've stripped it down, I can kind of feel a little more um, hopeful in them and actually feel like they know what they're doing and they're not just like cosplaying as fantasy GMs. You know what I mean? So I totally agree with you where now you can look at the roster and not even just the big league roster all the way down in the minor leagues, like you said, and be like, okay, there's, there's guys here. Like there are people at every position and there's roles. It's not all just sluggers everywhere. It's not all pitchers who just like, you know, throw the ball through the catcher's glove. Like we have some, we have some different roles and that's how I like when I was growing up watching baseball, that's when I like, that's what I understood to be a good team. You know, like they have like the eight hitter was the guy who would move runners over and bunt and stuff like that. And now it's like every team's eight hitter is like hitting 20 to 25 home runs. And it just feels weird i like that we're kind of trying to do like a sort of a reversion back to the old school and i'm not like an old school guy at all but i just feel like it's it's kind of comforting i guess to see that the mariners are not just doing the like oh let's hit the ball out of the stadium every at bat kind of thing. right and it's and it's a very different approach than what i kind of feel like they're moving towards it's it's a younger team um they don't have the old kind of players just hanging around, kind of showing the team what was going on. I mean, that was kind of like the Cano problem that I saw where everybody was kind of subdued or trying to be subdued just like him, which he's a phenomenal player. I mean, I'm not knocking that guy at all. But it's not what the team needed when there's young guys trying to break through and, you know, you have this guy who's at the top of his career and um, it's just not – it's not. It's a very different frame of mind where they're at right now because you, you do have guys like Kyle Lewis and J.P. Crawford and all these other younger players and they're kind of like – what do I do here? Okay, I'll figure it out. Just let me play. I'm ready to play. I'm healthy. I'm young. And, and, and I kind of like that vibe um, a lot more. So, and it's giving players a different thing where they're not focused on winning. They're focused on getting better. And then everybody around them is doing the same thing too. Yeah. I think it feels a lot looser that way too. Like they can be a little more free when it's all 25 year olds rather than a bunch of 25 year olds trying to impress Robinson Robinson Cano. Cano. You know what I mean? (laughs) But I think too, too, like the thing about baseball, it's also kind of weird is like, it doesn't really lend itself to like that raw, raw leadership of like a football or basketball where you're like just competing so hard against another person. Like baseball, you kind of have to have a certain degree of like calmness, you know, you can't just be up there like you know, <laughs> swinging for the fences every time or like pressing is, you know, you'll hear that all the time. Like, oh, he's just, he can't find a swing right now. He's trying too hard. Like you kind of have to be chill. And I feel like Cano had that, but it was so behind the scenes, you know, like you would hear stories about, especially with the young Latin players who would come over and like Cano kind of takes them under their wing. Like that's great, but then you don't see it on the field. So it's easy to wonder as a fan, like, oh, well, like, why are we paying this guy so much? He's, you know, he looks so nonchalant he's mr cool like it's easy for i think a certain kind of fan to be like oh he's not, he's worth, not the worth the money the you know money. what i mean no, no 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 i mean he's definitely worth the money uh i just think for a different team you know and and, and at the time <laughs> that's not necessarily what we needed um you know again i'm not i'm not on their level of understanding everything full i'm not the one that makes their choices but as a fan um you know signing some guy that's 25 million dollars plus plus uh it's it kind of says like we're, expe- we're going to expect way too much from one guy. Uh, and I think that's kind of a problem. Um, that we weren't that team. You know, we weren't that, it wasn't that lineup for that. It was still, you know, us being in Seattle and wanting to have that big name guy come across, you know, from New York. And that's going to fix all of our problems. And that's just not a solution for what we needed right now. 
Yeah, I'm I'm with you. If they had made the playoffs, though, would you feel differently about that? Like if Cano had gotten them into like one playoff series, playoff does that change maybe. things for you? <laughs> maybe. I and I think that's like just a really short sighted thing too because it's been so long. Um, you know, it, it's that's I think that's kind of like the approach that all the organization has had for a while is like we just need to do whatever it takes to get back to the playoffs so these people can stop hounding us about that. Um, and you can see that with, you know, audience levels from the years past going down and down and down. And then now with nothing, you know, so, um, it's, it's just different. It's a very, very different approach. I'm, I'm not, I want to see a long-term plan that has the younger guys kind of coming in and playing because we've seen it with other teams too, that have found some success. You know, I know it's it's hard to say like well the Astros and whatever when they're banging on trash cans but you know they, they've made a switch you know they decided to you know reorganize everything and basically start from scratch and be willing to be bad for a few years and then really develop their talent and you know that's who we compete against the most in, in the division so seeing them do that and then you have the Angels who are on the opposite end of hey they just want to spend all the money possible plugging these players in um, you can kind of see the cause and effect of which approach will work you know, so I'm, on my side, I see that within the division, um, and I go, well, we need to go, we need to go younger. We need to kind of develop this and not worry about, you know, having a, a Mike Trout or Albert Pujols on the team that just sounds good, but it's not going to get him anywhere. I know it's such a bummer to realize that like the Astros are obviously like baseball's number one villain, but also like kind of the blueprint for success. You know, like it's such a begrudging respect for them because they do like baseball wise just in terms of developing baseball players and of course we don't know how much of it was cheating you know I, d- I doubt they were cheating in the minors like when they were actually you know developing these guys but like they are like very very good at identifying talent I guess is kind of the easiest way to put it and then turning that talent into actual wins so like it is it's such a like shitty feeling to realize that and also be like well also don't be the Astros you know like be them to a certain extent but don't copy every single thing that they do yeah I mean but there's a method of success in there somehow um there's something that they're doing right I understand you know cheating and all of that other stuff but there's other ways that they've developed their players that (laughs) they're kind of an outlier um, because even with all the stuff that's happened there, there's a pretty good chance they can win again this year, um, you know, and, and, and they're, they're not showing any let up right now in the playoffs. So it's, it's really something where, you know, everybody on a, on a saturated level of going like, well, here's all these rules and here's who should win. They're still winning, <laughs> you know, yeah. and it's, and the it's worst tough part to is see. they're playing the victim too. They're like, Oh, no one, you know, everyone said that we couldn't do it. And it's like, first of all, no one was saying that <laughs> like you created this narrative to make yourself play better, which I get like, that is part of sports. You have to do whatever it takes to like find that edge, but it's infuriating to me that they're not showing any remorse and they're actually doing kind of a 180 on that and being like, oh, well, fuck you guys, basically. <laughs> yeah, I mean, when all that stuff was going down, I was like, well, shit, we have trash cans in Safeco, you know? <laughs> like, yeah. well, I'm going to hit them. I don't give a shit. You know, we have a lot of tech here in Seattle. Let's figure something out. I don't. If it needs to be like some virtual reality person in right field then <laughs> telling them who's going to hit what. Let's go. <laughs> right. you know, and then so it opened the door for like, well, how much – cheating is not being caught you know like there surely there's other teams that are doing something similar and they just never got found out about it and that's i mean that's baseball all the way through its entire history there's always been somebody trying to find an advantage and you know whether it's a written rule or unwritten rule or them figuring out another way to communicate it or exploit it it's 
pretty much always been in baseball, you know. So if, for me, it's like, well, they figured it out. <laughs> they figured out something for themselves. And, you know, you have a coach that lost his job. You have a couple of other coaches that lost their jobs, you know, the Red Sox and whatnot. But really, at the end of the day, they, they still won. Um, they still went to the playoffs. <laughs> and on, you know, being a Mariners fan, I'm like, well, damn it. You hit a fucking trash can. Let's go. so yeah i uh i asked you about kind of the state of the mariners and how you're feeling about that but how are you feeling about the state of baseball at large because you mentioned like you know in recent years lots of hand-wringing about the ratings being down and the youth of america not really being into baseball but the thing that i always find compelling about that argument is that like well people who love baseball are always going to love baseball. That's why it infuriates me when they try to change the rules all the time. It's like, that's not what we need. You need to figure out a way to keep it so that the current fans will like it. And then also just market it differently or do something like tweak it, not overhaul it to get kids interested. And that's why I think like, you know, Tatis and Acuna and people like that are great for the game. But if no one knows who they are, that's the number one problem. So how do you feel about everything that's going on around MLB? Like not COVID related, obviously, just like before that, when we were still trying to figure out how to make America realize how good Mike Trout is. <laughs> yeah, I think, um, you know, there's the the old codger baseball fan that's still trying to, you know, <laughs> show their opinions about how they don't like how the youngins play. Um, that those people need to go away. Um, they're holding back what progress has been made in baseball. Um, you know, we can't just have the stereotypical like here's the great white knight baseball player that is from the Midwest and he's come through and blah 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 and here's he's here to save the day. Um, there's a lot of exciting baseball players that are Latin American um, that don't get highlighted in the same way as like a Mike Trout, like you were saying earlier. Um, and they should be, you know, and there's players that get excited when they hit a home run and they should be, you know, they should be able to flip a bat or like get excited or dance or do that kind of thing. Um, it's part of their culture. You know, I'm Puerto Rican. I get it. You know, I get when being excited about something and, you know, being like, holy shit, I just hit a home run or I just stole a base or, you know, I grew up playing baseball too. So for me, it's, I want more of that energy into it and a lot less of, you know, a bunch of dudes that are holding up progress and just at home talking about unwritten rules of, oh, he stared at him way too long. And why did he look at him when he's rounding first? And, oh, that was an 0-2 pitch. He can't swing that way and all that kind of shit. Like that's what pushes people away from baseball um it's basically like some old granddad in a couch yelling at you telling you you can't have fun uh, meanwhile you've got all these kids that are coming up and and they're exciting man it's it's cool to see that and especially as you know me being you know from puerto rico and my parents being from puerto rico and, and growing up here it's it's cool to see that still happening um because even when i was a younger fan you know that was my pretty much only tie to being you know being Puerto Rican was watching like Edgar Martinez play and like Joey Cora. And I grew up around that era. So it, there's an attachment there for me that is that excitement of it. And I don't want to have that saturated by people wanting to go backwards and being like, well, oh, Mickey Mantle never did this. And, you know, I hate that shit. And it's, it's let the kids have fun. Um, you know, years ago when the NFL um, wanted to penalize players for celebrating, um, it kind of led to this whole thing of like, Okay, now it's really stale and boring. Um, now they have, you know, video cameras in, in the end zone and they let yeah. these guys like dance and do choreographed things. And it's, it's fucking fun, man. There's a really small amount of people in the world that will actually ever have the chance to hit a home run. 
<laughs> you know, and if they want to celebrate, cool. You know, if, if they want to jump up and be like, holy shit, I just did that. I'm, I'm cool with that, you know, and that's more of the vibe that we should be rather than this, like, every, you know, their pants need to be pressed and don't put your hat sideways. I mean, that was the argument with Ken Griffey Jr. for a long time. And then now everybody just does it and, and nobody gives a shit, you know, and, and people are still having fun. And, you know, just that old energy, the old vibe of, oh, baseball, this. It's like that shit needs to go away. Yeah, you nailed it. I think there's a lot of layers here. But uh, one thing I want to say is I when someone hits a home run and remains totally stoic, like rounds the base, like sprints out of the box and then rounds the bases with their head down and just like treats it like a, almost like a transaction. I'm way, way more, more suspicious, suspicious of those people <laughs> than the ones, the ones who are flipping, flipping their bats, their bats like pounding yeah, their chest. Cause like, it's not relatable at all to hit a home run and then be like, Oh, well, hit another home run. Let me just, you know, jog around the bases. Like look like you're having fun, man. I would be, if I hit a home run, I would flip my bat and, you know, probably ride it around like a horse or something like that. Yeah. Like, I think you should be allowed. And honestly, like if baseball wants to really like put themselves on the same level as the NBA and NFL in terms of like visual enjoyment and getting kids interested in it, they should encourage that. Like they should tell people, we want you to flip your bat. We want you guys to talk shit to each other and like, you know, be vibrant like they they've made like very minimal steps like one thing that i've noticed actually that is very minor but i think is helpful and it might just be for the covid season but they're letting players wear earrings again and they eased up on the like the shoe restrictions it used to be you could only wear like team colors and now you see guys wearing like pink and stuff like that like tatis is the king of accessories he's been wearing like pink wristbands all season and it's great and you know obviously the old guard will look at that and be like well Mickey Mantle Mickey never Mantle wore a wristband yeah. in his whole life. Well, Mickey like Mantle was like fucking shit face drunk in the middle of a game anyway. I mean, right. we, the guys, the guys aren't, the guys now aren't doing that. You don't have guys yeah. that are like half drunk <laughs> in the middle of the third inning. You know, they're a lot more athletic. They take care of themselves a lot more. They don't have a lot of these fucking problems like those guys did. Those guys were on everything, you know. And so that's the the kind of the thing to me. It's like, well. Yeah, from what you see on the field, sure. But what, you know, when the behind the scenes stuff happens, it's it's totally the opposite, you know, and, and what standard do you really want to live? It's if, do you want to create the facade or do you want to have these guys be, you know, showing who, who they really are? And I'd rather them show us who they really are on the field and be excited about being there and, and not like, it's crazy to me that you can be at a stadium and it's packed and there's 40,000 people there and everybody there in the fans and the seats gets to celebrate but the person that actually did the work doesn't yeah yeah you know what i mean like everybody can scream and pay hundreds of dollars to be there but the person that hits the ball fucking out of the park or whatever has to be like oh uh, thank you i did that you know and <laughs> for on. no other reason other than that's how it always has been like in the glory days which were obviously very white and like very you know just conservative really like that's why baseball is still so stuck in its old ways because a hundred years ago when the manager wore like a suit and a top hat they decided that you should never show emotion and it's kind of like there's a bigger issue here with just uh men in america and how they're told to like process their emotions you know like you can you should be allowed to like you know cry like if you hit a fucking game-winning home run like cry your eyes out you know kiss your teammates who cares i mean that's a joy cora that's the thing when they lost and he was sitting there on the bench crying and yeah that still resonates for people I, that's still a conversation people have it's like you don't see that very often and and i can't name maybe three more times after that, that you actually saw that happening you know um with 
baseball players. And it's something that shows them, hey, these are real people instead of this, you know, relationship that people have where they, you know, with now with like fantasy sports and people buying a ticket, they treat them like they own them, you know, and, and that's a crazy thing because that is that owner, you know, top hat style. These are my players. They're on the field. They're, I'm going to tell them what to do, how to act. And it's not that at all. I mean, these it's it's their job, but like nobody owns them. You know, you shouldn't be able to tell them what to do in that way. And if they want to celebrate and, you know, they're they're kicking ass and they're doing what they can to make the team better. And why, why would anybody hold that against them? Right. And in terms of style of play, too, I think there's such a like interesting kind of mental gymnastics that older people have to do, because obviously like one of the main complaints you'll hear sometimes from the actual broadcast, like when it's. John Smoltz or whoever from a bygone era. era. They're like, oh, no one, like there's too many strikeouts. You know, no one puts the ball in play anymore. And then two innings later, the relievers will come in and they'll start talking about like, oh my God, every reliever throws 98 now. And it's like, well, that's why no one can hit the ball. Like there's strikeouts because the pitching got better. Like the reason why in the, you know, 50s, 60s, 70s, why people were just putting the ball in play all the time is because the pitchers were throwing 89 miles an hour and they were hung over. Like yeah, this is a better, better product now. And I'm sorry if that means that people are swinging and missing all the time. Like I would rather see guys try to hit home runs and swing and miss than just hit ground balls to the second baseman all day. You know, like strikeouts can be exciting, especially if the pitcher is throwing 98 with a wicked curveball. Like that's to me, it's way more interesting than like, okay, here comes another pitch right down the middle and i hope you don't hit it out of the stadium like oh, why why are we why policing, are we policing the, way the way that, that like if a pitcher is good enough to strike everyone out that's great they should totally, totally do, that. do that absolutely i mean and that goes back to that atlanta braves team with john smoltz tom glav and greg maddox and it was just that was that that was the team you know that was everything that was happening around that was control and precision pitching and they would pitch up to eight innings that you know or closer would come in and that's the end of the game and that's all you'd see from that and so i can understand why Someone like that would believe that that's the case, but now it's very specialized. You'll have a starter that can come out five innings, and then you have a bunch of middle relievers coming in that throw a hundred, and you have a closer that comes in on the back end. It's he's got three pitches, four pitches now, where that didn't used to be the case, and it's a lot more strategy involved in that. I mean, it is yesterday's game with the Yankees where they, you know, said, "Hey, we're going to start this young kid," as and he pitches one inning and he's out. You know, so it's it's a good strategy to kind of just throw people off and be like, "Well, we don't have to." adopt those norms and keep them going just because I don't need a guy, you know, a Randy Johnson style who's going to come in and throw 130, 140 pitches and then come back the next day and close it out uh, just because he's fired up and he's a machine. That doesn't happen. (laughs) You know, that's not, that's not a normal thing. Um, And, but that's a lot of things that people hold their hat on and they hold their mind in. They'll, they'll do the nostalgia drop in their head where they're like, well, you know, Randy Johnson came in, (laughs) you know, it's like, well, shit, that's Randy Johnson, man. It's not everybody. And I'm sure Randy Johnson's arm is in a lot of pain now. (laughs) Like, at what cost? You know, obviously he was a great pitcher and, like, you know, provided some of the best moments in Mariner history. But, like, you got to think about Randy Johnson as a person. Like, pitching that much is not good for you. Pitching is one of the worst things a human body can do. That's why he takes pictures now, just for fun. You know, and he's not, like, going out saying he's going to start a shot put career. So, (laughs) you know, he kind of came in and said, all right, you know, fuck this. If I can use my finger to take a picture, I'm good now. fine you know so good for him you know (laughs) yeah Yeah. okay to put kind of a bow on this conversation um before we move to something else uh you mentioned before we started recording that you uh 
took a lot of trips to Puerto Rico as a kid and sort of saw how baseball uh, was played down there. And then obviously, you know, I'm sure you come back to America and kind of have to realize like, oh, this is much different. Like, you know, the thing that I've heard from Latin players giving interviews is they'll say like, oh, in America, they treat baseball much more of a job. Like when you're at the field, you are like, you know, at your office and like, you know, no one celebrates in their cubicle. So why would you celebrate on the baseball field? And then in Puerto Rico and a lot of Latin America, and, you know, we see this every time they have a world baseball classic, it's like, oh, we're actually doing the opposite. We have horns going the whole time. And like, if someone hits a single up the middle, the whole dugout is out on the field screaming at them. Like, it's a lot more of like a party vibe than like, oh, we're here for the next three hours to complete a task. So I'm just curious. I mean, when you're going back and forth between America and Puerto Rico during the summers as a kid, like, did you notice that even as a child? And then how has that sort of evolved as you get older and wiser about these things? Yeah. So I, you know, I grew up in Olympia. My dad was military. So um, I was born in Fort Lewis. And so, you know, my parents would kick us out during summer times because they, they were tired of us. And so we'd go to Puerto Rico (laughs) and um, you know, watching baseball, playing baseball. I played baseball since I was even before I knew anything. Um, So for me, it was, playing here locally in Olympia and kind of seeing how the game was played here, but then going to Puerto Rico and playing with kids there. Um, it's, it's very different. It's night and day. Um, here it was very regimented. It was okay. We're having practice. Okay. Bobby's dad who owns the so-and-so thing, he's going to be the coach and his coach's kid is going to be the shit just because he says it. And there's a, you know, (laughs) there's like an organization just to help out Bobby's kid. Mm -hmm. Um, and that was very weird to me, um, because Bobby's kid sucked. You know, (laughs) like nine times out of 10, the coach's kid fucking sucked. Um, And like going to Puerto Rico and seeing how they played there, it wasn't that. It was, hey, we're just playing. (laughs) You know, like this is what we do. This is our game. You know, this is like going up and down the street and bikes. This is like any other sort of thing that people would play. Um, And it wasn't, you know, everybody having perfect baseball gear you know it wasn't everybody having gloves it wasn't everybody having any of that stuff it was just them taking a stick and hitting it with a rock or if one had a bat then we'd use that and fucking still hit rocks you know and uh you know maybe not everybody had a glove so you just sit there and half the team has a glove or whatever and it's it's very different um even watching like winter league games down there in ponce um, that's very different. Everybody's partying the whole time and making noise. And there isn't a time where people are going like, oh yeah, hold on. So-and-so's up. Let's be quiet. And it's, it's a fucking party, man. And um, it's just a very different part of the culture that is that happens down in Puerto Rico for me. Because, you know, we're, we're not quiet. We're proud. We're, we're tell people like, hey, you're cool or you suck or, you know, and then you back it up or you just shut up and, you know, you get punched in the face. Um, but it's, it's, it's very different. It's very, very different. And there isn't seniority level type of stuff in the culture either. You're good or you're not, you know, and, and, and here when I was growing up, there was a lot of that. It's like so-and-so's friend whose dad is this, is that, that's who's going to be in that position. And then you know, it took a lot of overperformance on my part to show them, no, I'm actually better than your son. Who's the shortstop that you wanted, (laughs) you know? And it's, it's like, I understand, but like I'm throwing like 20 miles an hour harder than this kid. (laughs) And I don't know why, but it's just natural or something. I don't know, but you can make a decision if that's who you want to have as your kid being there or not, but cool. Um, And in our culture, it's very different. It's very performance 
based, like, you can do it? Cool, you can't? Get out of here, you know, <laughs> or go make noise on the sidelines, you know, that kind of thing. So it's just, it's a different game. Yeah, and I think that it's got to help alleviate pressure, too, when you come up with sort of the Latin approach to the game and not having to think of it as, like, a job or, like, a task, you know? Like, if it's just something that you've been doing your whole life without even really putting any sort of expectations on yourself, like you said, you're just out there in the street having fun, I think that's what helps when you get higher up the chain. I mean, you think about some of these young Latin players who have come up recently and they're like 1920, like Soto, Acuna, I mean, Francisco Lindor, Baez, players like that. Like they're good right away. And I feel like when you have players coming up through the American system, they'll do like the travel ball circuit and then, you know, elite high school showcases and then college and then the minor leagues. It's like, oh, you're just, you're kind of having the joy taken out of it with every step especially in the minor leagues which is a whole other issue but like there's nothing fun about playing in the minor leagues the whole point of it is to be done with it like you want to get out of there as quickly as possible so I don't know how you could expect players to enjoy that you know what I mean whereas the other way like okay I grew up in the Dominican or in Puerto Rico or Venezuela and then I get signed by a scout and then when I come to America and play in the minor leagues then it's like oh my god this is like this is the dream come true rather than these American players who are told from the time they're 10, if they're a coach's kid or whatever, like, Oh, you're going to be great. Then they think of everything on the way to the big leagues as like a roadblock rather than, Oh my God, this is so fun and exciting. It's like, Oh my God, I need to get out of Tacoma as quickly as possible so I can start making $200 million. Whereas these Latin guys, like I'm playing baseball every day. This is amazing. There's like, why is everyone so uptight? You know what I mean? No, it's a, that's totally it. And I think a lot of what's in our culture is driven in a different way too. It's not necessarily like raising your kid and looking at him like a lottery ticket. Um, and, and that's very different for us. It's like, yeah, that can happen. That would be cool, but don't put all your eggs in one basket. Um, yeah, and there's probably some extreme cases where some parents are like that, but it's more about the fun of it and getting to be it. And then there's a support system down there for it that's a little bit different than here, um, where it's not so cutthroat. You know, it's not people, you know, developing all these systems. You, I mean, I saw it when I was growing up here. It's all the rich kids, um, you know, like in Redmond, they're having all these teams that go to like the Little League World Series. Um, around this area and I was around that age I was like wow man I, I think like we have some players on our team that could be on that team that would be a 10 times better <laughs> yeah you know and it's just like that's life <laughs> that's gatekeeper kind of stuff and and that's normal um but it's it's cool to see when players do come across like Acuna and you know Tatis and all these other types of players that are that way and come in they still have fun they still want to come in and play baseball every day and they look like they're having fun and they're excelling and there's nobody there that can stop them from doing that, which is dope. You know, anytime I can see like Latin American players come through and people don't really know what they're saying or how they're saying it and they can be successful. I'm like, that's dope. And they're you and you can't stop them. <laughs> you know, right, they, right. they have all these like more, maybe like white marketable players just because they speak the language or whatever that they want to push through just because of that. Um, but you have all these outlier people that may, that are better. And I, I love that shit. I mean, to me, that's like, fuck yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's I love when they're unapologetic about it as well. Like, come in, kick ass, go home. Like, don't feel the need to pander to American cultures or standards. Like, I love, especially when you said, like, they'll do an interview and it's like, well, you know, his grasp of English 
isn't great, but you can tell that the guy giving the interview doesn't care about that. You know what I mean? Like he'll be up there just like smiling, you know, having a good time in the interview rather than doing the like, oh, you know, both teams played hard. Like that's bullshit. You don't need to do that. Like just have fun. If you don't, you know, want to do the interview, don't do the interview. Or if you do, just be yourself. You know, I, I really do like feel myself die a little inside when they're interviewing a player and he's just giving the standard like yeah you know I wanted to do this and that for my team blah 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 like it was a really great you know learning experience like no just talk the way you would normally talk and if someone gets mad that you don't speak English well that's completely their problem yeah and that's 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 a big stigma though that's held up against Latin American players too for them you know not speaking perfect English um, but then the double standard goes to something like when Ichiro was around here and he purposely didn't speak English and he right, purposely right. Spe- you know, spoke Japanese and he was such a good player that again, when you're that good of a player, you can kind of just tell everybody to fuck off by how you play <laughs> where, where no, you know, there's people that were frustrated and they're racist, um, <laughs> by stuff like that. But you know, the performance and what they do as a player and how they uphold their own standard, you know, supersedes all that shit anyway. 100%. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you will hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Okay, let's get into uh, into the weeds a little bit more about the Mariners specifically. Uh, the whole concept of this show was created just to talk to people about sort of how they became Mariners fans and then more importantly, I think, how they've stuck around because there's been a lot of reasons and a lot of opportunities to jump ship. So you've mentioned a couple times already you grew up in the Olympia area, so I'm guessing that in the early days, it's just kind of geographical. You know, the Mariners are the hometown team. They're on TV all the time. You can go to the games. But what do you remember specifically about, like, being a kid and becoming aware of the Mariners? Like, what are those earliest memories about becoming a fan of the team? Um, well, I grew up in the, you know, steroid <laughs> era. You know, so nice, for me, nice. um, I'm 38, you know, so I've, I've been around a little bit with watching Mariners and how bad they've been. Um, and so a lot of it of how bad they've been was when, you know, we had the Oakland A's just terrorizing them every day. Um, <laughs> and, you know, kind of growing up through that and seeing Bash Brothers just hit bombs off of our pitchers and seeing Bobby Ayala and wanting to like jump off a building even when I was like six or seven years old, <laughs> um, you know, <laughs> growing up around that and, and them forcing me to be like, well, this is your team and this is your team. And I'm like, God damn it. This is my team. Um, <laughs> you know, I guess to a certain point, you know, I've, I've been a fan of other players that are, were in other markets just because my team sucks so bad, but you know, like Frank Thomas and all these other great, awesome players that I looked up to, um, but I've always been that guy that was like, 
you know, fine. Omar Vizquel's my dude to the death, uh, you know, um, and, and going through the, the, the super teams of the 90s. Okay, cool. Now I'm excited. Here's my playoff teams. I still remember in middle school, like skipping class, um, you know, during the playoffs. And, and we got to the point where we skipped class so much that the entire school was just you know what, we're just going to watch him so you guys stop skipping class. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and we had like little watch parties and it was it was cool, you know. And so that's been my attachment towards it. Plus, you know, being a little kid, um, my dad on the weekends would take me, it would just be me and him, you know, we'd go to the kingdom and he'd get me my little pizza hut, single, you know, pizza. And I'd sit there and that was like a thing. They'd cut it in four little wedges and I remember everything about it. Um, you know, and the peanut guy and, you know, purposely trying to find a, pl a spot where I can hang out that's maybe within his range, but just to see like how extravagant he could be throwing the peanuts. Mm -hmm. Um, I actually dressed like the peanut guy one year for Halloween, you know, so it's, it's, it was like a very extreme kind of thing. Um, you know, even remembering, and I still to this day, one of my fucking funniest things to me, and it's, it's awful. Um, was when the Mariner Moose uh, got on the back of the ATV and he had oh, his, yeah. his fucking rollerblades blades on. <laughs> and he like runs into the wall and he's got his face on. It's still his normal face, but underneath you have a guy that's got a broken leg and still a smiley face on the moose. Um, it's, it's terrible and stupid shit like that, like all the way across to me. It's like I can't be a, a fan of another team. Um, the highest of highs, the lowest of lows. Um, you know, but never winning anything really, meaning like a World Series or anything like that. But just being a fan of them, um, it's it's been ingrained in my whole life. And you know, it's 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 hard to talk to anyone else about it when you leave here, uh, because I, I lived in Chicago for a few years, and it was the year that fucking the Cubs won. Man, that was brutal. Oh boy, yeah. fuck. <laughs> and I remember everybody in the city, and I lived in that area. I lived in Lincoln Park, so it was like right in we're close to the stadium, Wrigleyville, all that kind of stuff. And seeing how excited people were that their team for the first time had won in a hundred, you know, basically a hundred years. And before that, it was Red Sox, the same thing. And I'm like, God damn it, you know. And it's it's tough to see that in person. And then I lived in Chicago also when the Seahawks won the Super Bowl. So then I come back and I move back here and I'm like, every year has kind of been this thing in the back of my head of guys, World Series, maybe, maybe. But then having realistic expectations of, okay, now we're in the development years and I'm cool with this. But, you know, that's 38 years of being a Mariners fan. Yeah, yeah, I feel like the Cubs thing, I mean, you were there, obviously, so it's different. But for me, watching from afar, it was kind of like there was two sides of it, right? There was one where it's like, oh, my God, we're watching another team celebrate their their drought being over. Like, that could be us. And then also with the Cubs specifically, it's like, oh, my God, this was 100 years. Like, if this is the same thing for the Mariners, like, I'm not going to be alive to see it. You know what no. I mean? So there was, like, there was that like fear that. creeping in, too, of, like, baseball is so weird and it's, you know, only one team can win every year and so many things have to go right, not just in the regular season, but throughout the little weird crapshoot tournament at the end. Like, it's very hard to win a World Series. So those thoughts started to creep in for me, too. It's like, you know, it could it could never happen or it could happen – way after I'm dead and like that's obviously not what I want but like you have to be being a Mariners fan is kind of an exercise in like balancing realistic thoughts with optimism you know what I mean with yeah. optimism, optimism. kind of gets pushed out a lot and like when you're thinking about it realistically it's like well not every team is gonna have a chance to ever do this you know and the Mariners historically have been the ones who are not doing it so like at what point do I start to like actually 
get worried that this is going to happen, you know, and the Cubs, I think for a lot of people, the Cubs are like the, the hopeful, you know, lighthouse, like, oh my God, if they can do it, anyone can do it. And for me, it's like, well, I don't know. (laughs) I really don't think that's true. Yeah. It's, it's my, my whole life as a Mariners fan will be like something where I'm like 85 years old. They finally make the playoffs again. They're in the world series. They have one more game to go. And then I die before they play. (laughs) Oh, wow. That is dark. (laughs) (laughs) But to me, that's like, that's the true like Mariners fan life right there. So I'm I'm cool with that too. As long as they as long as they win it one of these days, I'm 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 excited about whoever's around to see it. And there's a lot worse things around, but you know, for for being a Mariners fan, it's kind of like that's it. That's that's the way it works for me. I'm still excited to see him play, and you know, the, the flashes of brilliance every once in a while. I'm, I'm cool with that. Um, it's definitely never going to be something where like I jump ship and I end up being like an Astros fan. So it's cool. Yeah. So yeah. then what is it that keeps you going? Like that keeps pulling you back in every year? Is it just blind loyalty to the franchise? Is it that specter of like, oh, they could make the playoffs this year? Or is it just you simply love baseball so much? Like, I think, you know, for me, it's kind of all of that. But it's always interesting to to talk to people, especially people who have been so invested for so long and kind of get to the bottom of like, well, why are we still doing this? You know, because there's been they've given us almost nothing in return and we give them our whole summer every year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, for me, it's, it's, it's a lifelong thing, you know? Um, it's, it's honestly like one of the things I can think of is probably the longest relationship to anything I've ever had before. <laughs> so it's like, you're kind of around it. You, you understand it. You see him. It's very one-sided. Like nobody on that organization knows or cares about what I do. Um, but for me, it's, it's a, it's a good, you know, it's a good mental vacation every once in a while to see him when they're doing something cool. Um, or, you know, if I'm having a good time, it, they can pull me back down into reality of knowing they suck sometimes. Um, so it's just, <laughs> it's just a good balance. Um, but it's, you know, at the end of the day, it's, it's still baseball. It's never been anything where I'm like, you know, uh, too serious about it where it over, you know, like overtakes my, the way that I live normally. Um, I know there's a lot of people that live that way, um, with fans or like sports writers or whoever else that like get too involved where it's like unhealthy. Um, but for me, it's, it's still, it's still entertainment. I like to see the kids, you know, kind of come up and see where they end up at. Hopefully they stay with us <laughs> and they don't just like get to a point where they're too good and they go somewhere else and they kill it. Um, but you know, it's, it's, it's just, to me, it's, it's a, it's a cool game. You know, I like it. Um, I, I like, we have options here in the city, you know, the storm just won their fourth championship, you know, Seahawks been playing really well over the last few years and they've been consistent but you know to me it's still you know Mariners um, it's still something I look forward to and I get excited about how did you do with uh without a summer of live baseball did you feel withdrawals from not being in T-Mobile or did you kind of become used to it and like accept that we weren't going to see them in person this year still it's still it's tough but I mean it's not the worst it could be you know it's it's pandemic it's holding expectations for that um i'd rather everybody stay safe and not have a bunch of fans you know hanging out in center field bumping into each other getting shit faced um doing a bunch of stupid stuff um i'd rather have the players be healthy enough to play um and and they're young and who knows what's long-standing effects of covid and all that stuff you know it i'd rather everybody kind of just hang out where they're at right now and do what they they can um it would be awesome to go to a game. Um, I'm not going to lie. I like, I like hanging out at the stadium and it's yeah. fun. <laughs> I like doing that. And I don't live very far from it either. So for me, it's, 
it's easy. Um, so it's it sucks, um, but I, I'd rather, you know, I care more about them as an organization, meaning their players staying safe and staying healthy. Because um, we, you know, still truly don't know what the effects of all this stuff is long term. And I'd hate to see it, you know, uh, a young player, uh, 22, 23, 24, 25, have something happen to them where they can have, they can get out of the league in two seconds. And then what? They have a whole lifetime of regret or whatever. Um, or they can get sick and die or whatever. And it's just not worth it to me. I'd rather keep doing what we're doing and keeping them safe. Um, it sucks for us, but at the end of the day, you know, in a certain degree, baseball keep going on. Um, so, you know, again, being like a Mariners fan, seeing kind of everything on the spectrum, um, waiting for them to come back and, you know, having everybody be safe to come back to be that way. Um, I'm, I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, very level-headed answer. I completely agree with you. But for me, the hardest part was just like, um, without being able to go to games it felt to me like summer never happened you know that's usually like kind of my indicator of like oh it's summer now i can go hang out at the ballpark and like you know it's august 25th or whatever the Mariners are 10 games under 500 but i'm gonna be there you know like that was to me a huge part of just summer in the northwest and then to lose that was weird and then also like knowing that they were still playing was super weird like knowing that like the Mariners are there like you know like and they're still playing in the stadium that we're not allowed to go to and it's like 20 minutes from where I live like that was very bizarre yeah you can go to the stadium stand outside and you can hear some things happening yeah people actual- have been doing that at these playoff games like the Braves have this whole like setup which it was kind of disturbing actually because no one was wearing masks and they were just like having a party out there but there's also I think it was Minnesota when they were still in they would like cut to people standing outside the big gates just like trying to peer their head in and to me that was very endearing i was like i probably would have done something similar if the mariners made the playoffs and i and i i I thought of that too just kind of meandering down there and just walking by but at the same time it just kind of starts to set a different tone it's almost like i'm deaf to the reality of it um here's where we're at right now here's your option do you want them to do this or not then you have to play this you know you have to play to their rules and 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 that's that's where it's at. You know, it's just maybe maybe next year uh, things are, are cool-ish, <laughs> where things can happen, and we can go back to watch a game. Um, it'd be nice. Um, but again, it, you know, to me, it's like the longer term. You know, looking at what's going on, and I I would it would it would really suck to like push everything fast forward and get everybody back in stadiums and having. You know, players and fans and all these people getting sick while they're at a game watching it's just not worth it yeah okay i gotta i gotta ask you this before we go uh food is a very integral part of being at a baseball game and as someone who makes food for a living i'm sure you have some thoughts about the stuff they sell at mlb, MLB stadiums Stadium. and oh how much, how it, much costs. it costs so <laughs> i'm curious if you had a chance to revamp ballpark food if the mariners came to you and said you have carte blanche to redesign every concession stand here uh what does it look like that if eric rivera is in charge i i've always i've been on a hard view of this for a really really long time um i think the stadium and the food needs to represent the players more than it currently does right now um because it doesn't do that at all um you know when i look at something like edgar's cantina um he's puerto rican not mexican um, I understand that he's a fan of tequila and all that stuff as a personal level, but it just sends a wrong message to me. Um, there's a lot of players 
cultures that are out there, Dominican players, Cuban players, Puerto Rican players, um, Japanese players, all this kind of stuff, that would be cool to like actually have an educational system through food and have menus built that are favorites of the players. So kids that are young or old or whoever can actually start to learn through food, through their players who are their favorite, and they can understand like what makes that something cool for them. Um, additionally, you know, pricing, I can kind of understand on, on food kind of in the stadium. It's very temporary. It's hard-ish to bring in. There's really weird contracts that happen within it. Um, the problem, additionally, that I've seen with stadium stuff is, you know, they've gone to certain people like Ethan Stoll. Um, you know, they've gone to people like that. But even on that side, that's just watered-down white people food. Um, right. it's, it's serving a certain clientele um, who is the people in the stands and it gives them what they want, but it doesn't challenge them into a bigger story of what food is in baseball. Um, you know, we have a team that has the, the largest amount of black players. There isn't really enough <laughs> representation there in food from them of their choosing done by, you know, food that they approve of or asking them, what do you want to see? Like that, those conversations don't happen. Um, so if you have a chef that you're talking to, um, that isn't representative of the team, um, and it's this constant like white male chef guy. Then that's it's doing a poor job. It's not doing a good enough job at at sh highlighting what we can do because Mariners have done a spectacular job of every single calendar date having something else representative. But when it comes to food, that is the most boring fucking shit that I've seen in a stadium. They've done a good job of diversifying it over the years once they opened Safeco and they had, you know, sushi and all this other stuff. I feel like that was checking off boxes. And I think there's the next level of let's kind of take this to the next level of, and, you know, educating people on what things are. No, not all the beers need to be a fucking IPA. No, it doesn't need, just need to be this one singular thing. There's more stories that we can be told through food and culture um, that can kind of take us through the next step. And that's what I would want to see. Yeah, I think the thing you said about the the Ichi roll and like the sushi they brought in, it was very much like, oh, we did a good thing and now we never have to do that ever again. You know, like it feels like they, they thought that they completed the whole diversity training with one sushi roll. And you're totally right. Like there, there are so many other things that you could put in there. The thing that really doesn't make any sense to me is like how there's like five different places that all sell the same thing. You know, like they, you can get chicken strips like at every single spot in the ballpark it's like one of these things could be like caribbean food and people would love it that's the other thing like caribbean food is amazing so it's kind of a win-win like you both highlight the food of the players on the field like you said and also it tastes better than chicken fingers and barbecue, barbecue sauce. sauce yeah i mean and honestly man one of the fucking weirdest things <laughs> is they have hot dog stands but then none of them actually serve a seattle dog you yeah, can really true. Yeah, yeah. For like just a bland, like boiled hot dog. <laughs> yeah, and I'm like, well, how do you not? How do we not menu manage that? You know, to give somebody that integral thing. If it's somebody who's driving up from a Portland or driving in, they're an away team. You know, a Dodgers fan or you know something else like that. We're coming in and they can kind of see that. Um, it's it's just a. It's always been a miss for me, and and this is like that's actually like my wheelhouse of you know food stuff. So it's something that I think about when I go in. Um, and, you know, they have done a good job of having that one spot in the stadium where they have, like, local beers, but then they have all these over-ending, you know, over-kind-of-encompassing contracts with, like, Aramark or whoever it is that's managing food on the level that kind of, like, just puts it into the chicken fingers in five different stalls. You know, and, and, and to me, it's not, 
that's just kind of like barely putting your toe into it. If you really did the work towards it, you can have something really spectacular. And I think, you know, the Mariners are probably positioned better than anybody else to do things like that. Right. And I think too, I mean, another problem, and this is kind of just a baseball problem as well, is like they are catering to a certain audience, which for people going to baseball games is definitely like skews wider and, you know, older, <laughs> yeah. like, you know, yeah. they have to have a certain amount of money to be able to afford going to a Mariners game every week, especially if you're bringing your family. So like, I do get that, like, you know, for a lot of American families, chicken fingers, hot dog, burger, French fries, whatever is like what they're used to. But the other thing is like, you don't know that you don't like something unless you have it. You know what I mean? Like you can, it's yeah, way, it's way easier, easier to just say, Oh, you know, we don't want whatever tostones in the stadium. But if you give a kid tostones and they like them, then boom, you have a whole market for it. You know, like why are they just cutting it off before they even try? And it's, that's the thing, you know, kind of with the players and them being excited and having this very like regimented shut up and hit your home run and go around the field and be very quiet. Though food that's there is the shut up and go around the food and be really quiet. You know, that's yeah. what's there right now. The respect, you know, respect the, game the game of food. food. <laughs> yeah. I can't remember the last time I ate Cracker Jacks at a fucking stadium. You know what I mean? And But it's still a song that we sing towards the end of a game, you know, seventh inning stretch and like buy me some PBs and Cracker Jack. And, and, but it's like, no, man, I buy me some Tostones with, you know, some pernil and I'm ready to go. Um, because that's something more that's evolved in the baseball, you know, with the bat flips and players wearing, you know, cool shoes and, earrings and all this other stuff it's an evolution of the game and so on that level you know with the way the game's played it needs to happen that level on, on food wise too because we can go around seattle in 25 different ways and see there's been a shift in the way food's done too uh over the last 10 15 20 years and you know the food that is being highlighted around the city is more exciting than it used to be it's not just the you know pasta guy doing bullshit media or white white male chef pasta um, there's a lot better options out there and there's a lot of other people getting notoriety for that stuff that isn't just the, you know, the person in the box with the dad beard that lives in West Seattle and has like three restaurants that he's looking to expand. <laughs> it's, it's way beyond that shit now. You know, it's, it's not just the restaurant that has a cool set of IPAs and, you know, they have a good fish and chips recipe or something. It's way beyond that now. And there's a lot of other cultures and more diversity in food that, that is being highlighted here in the city. And, the, you know, the team needs to do a better job with that. The stadium needs to do a better job with that. And, I, you know, I'll do it free. I don't give a shit. I'll, I'm more than happy to talk to him about it. Yeah, um, Mariners, yeah, if, you're if you're listening, reach out to Eric. Eric. Yeah, he's he's I, I, ready and available. I'm, I'm definitely ready. And, you know, on, on my side, it's not really even about getting anything out of it. For me, it's being able to go inside of a stadium like that and being a lifelong fan and being like, man, that's dope. You can get Tostones here. You can get whatever. And, you know, all these other cultures and stuff. And I can look at our players like Kyle Lewis and have a conversation with him and go like, what do you want to see here, man? <laughs> like you're, you very easily could be the, the face of the organization very quickly. Um, if you were a fan or if you were going to go out to eat tonight, like what would you want to see? You know, if he says like, I still want to eat chicken tenders, <laughs> fine, you know, but at least having that conversation, opening it up and, and being representative of something like that would be fucking, that'd be so dope. Yeah. And then like it also opens up the opportunities for like, you know, they could be like Kyle Lewis's chicken fingers, you know, like with it, I don't know if you ever had the Vogie hoagie at the stadium. It was like it was good. Like it tasted good. And it was such a layup for the team from a marketing perspective. You know, like we can name it after a player like he's kind of 
bigger you know like you get it you can understand the connection between him and like a big sandwich like it was great and i think that was like one of the most popular things in the whole stadium and like of course then there's the weirdness of like well he was like you know a very marketable white dude like why did you not have anything for robinson cano for the five years he was here (laughs) yeah i mean we can have jp crawfish that's easy See, it's super it's easy. easy. Yeah, it's super yeah. easy. And you just go out in the stand, you get a little bucket of crawfish and it's good. And you eat there in the stadium and eat a crawfish. That's easy. See, so it's <laughs> it would just be good having a, a bunch of different options and ways to see it. So that's kind of like what I want to, I don't know, my, that would be my dream for baseball. Yeah, well, we've put it out there now. It is weird, I guess, now that I'm just thinking about it more. Like, you can't even get, like, like teriyaki in the stadium. Like, probably the most, like, Seattle easiest food thing we have, have, you know? It's literally the easiest thing to do. I mean, how can you not? That's, like, such a miss. Um, pho. Oh, my God. You know how that'd be awesome to eat pho at the stadium? There's a lot of things there that would be cool to, I don't know, have as an option to eat. So what are your, this will be my last question before I let you go. What are your thoughts on Seattle overall as a food town? Like if, let's say a big free agent is visiting Seattle and the Mariners ask you to take him on like a food tour of the city. Like, what are you doing? What type of food are you showing them? Like, where are you going? What do you think is like indicative of Seattle as a food town right now? Um, it's, that's a, t- that's a hard question because we're one of the few markets that everybody, everything, pretty much everything's closed at nine or 10. <laughs> So yeah, when yeah. you have a game that gets over at like 10, 10 o'clock, you know, 11 o'clock at night, sometimes there's really nothing open. That's tough. Um, and I know that's been a complaint from, I've, I've served food to a few players in my career and, and they're like, this is, nothing's open here. Um, so it's, it's basically trying to find a place that would be open enough to go take them out to. Um, and there's a bunch of restaurants here that it would be cool to take players to. You have like, you know, Kamenegi and, you know, like June Baby and, you know, a couple other places that are of a different mindset from typical whatever he thinks is Northwest cuisine, whatever that is. Um, there's a lot of places like that, but, I would, you know, showing them the staples of something like a pho or a teriyaki it would be also dope um, because teriyaki is like something that I grew up eating like three times a week. Uh, I don't know if it's going to be exciting enough for a player that makes a ton of money. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I know a lot of, uh, you know, the players that I've, are, the players that I've met have been making a shift over the last five to 10 years where it's not necessarily just steak and potatoes anymore. Um, they've made a shift to being like, Hey man, I want to eat more healthy foods and I have a diet and I have a trainer and I have all these other things. So I think we're pretty good in that to, to do things like that here in the city. I just don't know if it's, we don't really stand up to a San Francisco an LA a New York a Chicago when it comes to dining like that um we really don't we're not even close um so it's just, it would be something that would take a little bit more time it, again the, the part really the big part that hurts us is you know everything pretty much closes at like nine or ten anyway yeah I didn't even yeah I guess I didn't think about that like I guess because you hear all the time like you know a lot of whenever I feel like players are reminiscing about their playing days so much of it is like oh we were at dinner that one night you know and now you can't really do that I guess that's a really interesting point i'm sure now it just becomes like dinner in the clubhouse from whatever the the team chef makes yeah when i when i worked in chicago i mean we had players that would come into you know the restaurants where i worked at and it was late i mean we would do a second seating at 10 30 10 45 <laughs> you know and that's a full-on dinner uh starting then and you know not having that option here pretty much you, you were left with a few restaurants like 13 coins or something like that but i don't want to take a player to 13 coins <laughs> <laughs> 
All right, Eric, this was a blast. Uh, thank you for doing this. Before we officially let you go, I wanted to give you a chance to talk about uh, anything that's on the horizon for you, anything you want to plug or draw attention to, just anything you got uh, going on. Uh, now is your time to, to brag about it or direct people to it, I guess. I love this game. Um, you know, we, we have a lot of different stuff, a lot of in-home. We, we completely um, delivery takeout, and you can pick up from our restaurant here in Ballard. We have our own delivery system where we get all the way out to even West Seattle Island and on the east side. So um, it's our own system. It's our own place. You know, um, we do a lot of crazy things where we do hot sauce challenges to five and ten course dinners and you name it. Uh, we have 20 to 30 different things a month uh, experience-wise on the food level. And it's not just expensive stuff. I know a lot of people hear that and we're going to be like, that's ah, probably like three, $400. And we have, you know, meals ready to cook that you can pop in your oven for like $7. So it's, it's a lot of cool stuff. You know, I've, I want to be part of the community here, even with the pandemic and everything else, because I'm from here. So anything we can do to kind of help be part of that still and, you know, have people have some food and some snacks and some, you know, maybe a little bit of good times. Meanwhile, the world is shit. Uh, at least, you know, try some food with us and promise it'll be good. Beautiful. We love that. I'll direct people also to uh, the Eater story that was just written about you by Alberto, <laughs> Alberto Perez, Perez at yeah, Eater.com. It's called Eric Rivera is playing the game about how Eric and probably, I guess, you know, it's probably indicative of chefs at large, how they've adapted to these COVID times. But perhaps most importantly, in the the picture that greets you right when you open the article, Eric is wearing a very cool old school Mariners hat. So it really ties everything that we've been talking about together into one uh, adorable little picture. So go check that out. You can follow Eric on Twitter at Eric Rivera Cooks. Uh, I am at M Robertson 22. And uh, as per usual, keep following Lookout Landing, reading the stuff on the site, and downloading this podcast if you feel so inclined. Uh, Eric, before we go, any final thoughts? Any sort of lasting uh, idea you want to leave people with? Um, no, man. Just, you know, be, be a fan. You know, be a fan. Have fun with the game. Um, let the kids play. And, yeah, go Mariners. Yeah, it's okay to have fun, people. Don't forget that. <laughs> Even though this year has been the complete opposite, we can still take joy and food or baseball or talking shit on the internet whatever it is that brings you joy my favorite hobby <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> thanks for having me on man i'm a really like big fan of you guys and what you've, you've always done and i i like I'm literally talking to my girlfriend ingrid i'm like holy shit i've talked to a lot of crazy people about during this pandemic time but this is by far like a dream come true so <laughs> <laughs> thank you that warms my heart as well and i will extend the message to the entire lookout landing family Cool. Well, thanks, everyone, for listening. Thank you, Eric. And until next time, goodbye. I don't want to give a-